You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to, you, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today we've got an interesting show. See, when we moved back to Knoxville, as you know, we're in Atlanta now. In fact, this is our first show from Atlanta. But when we moved to Knoxville, we had a hard time finding a church. We had some difficulties with church finding. And personally, for me, I hate to say it, but church shopping can be very boring. Because if you're someone who's seminary trained and such, you sit down and you're like, yeah, yeah, heard this, heard this. Or you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I heard this. This is just awful. What are you doing in that pulpit right now? And it is so difficult. And especially if you're in the apologetics ministry, like I am, you look at churches and you think, where on earth is the intellectual work going on? I, mean, I know you want to connect people emotionally and relationally, and that's great, but where is the substance to what you're talking about? So when my wife and I were looking for church, I put in something that she wants, contemporary worship, and then I I think I put in apologetics. I don't remember exactly. That could have been where I put in. But one of the first churches that popped up on my web search was a place called The Point. I went there the first Sunday by myself because I was a bit suspicious, and I told her, honey, the music is so good, I like it. And she said, well, I don't know, but I'll give it a try for you. We went the next Sunday together, and we never regretted it once. And that the music was good, and the pastor was a guy who I could tell did his homework well. I mean, he had things up on his website with answering questions. I didn't agree with all the answers, but they were good answers still. And that pastor is my guest on the Deeper Waters podcast today. That's Pastor Matthew Peepers. He's the lead founder pastor of a point in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's passionate about connecting with disconnected, training the next generation of church planters, and preaching the gospel. He routinely does speak, national speaking engagements on the following topics, outreach, technology, and social media. And for his education, he studied at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri, where he got a Bachelor of Arts in Mass Communication Journalism in May 2004, and at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, where he got a Master of Divinity in May 2009. So, Pastor Matt, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Nick, uh, thanks for having me, man. It's an honor to get to be hanging out with you today and to... uh have had you and Allie as, as a part of the church, you know, ever since you were in Knoxville. We really miss you out here, so it's it's a joy just to get to hang out with you right now. Now, Pastor Matt, I really suspect most people out there don't have a clue who you are, so tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. It was really, uh, it was really a God thing. It was not something I set out to do. Um, I took about a year off after undergrad. I was a mass comm journalism major, and I, I just basically, you know, didn't really know how uh, God wanted to use my gifts and uh, decided, you know, what would I enjoy doing the rest of my life? I think maybe pastors. So uh, seminary was four years, so I figured that'd be a good four years to figure it out. And the longer I was there, the more I felt like 
that was my wheelhouse. And uh, after I did a year-long internship uh, and then stepped into my last year of school at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, um, I was thinking, okay, I could be a pastor by myself at a church and I'd be fine. And I could be a, a pastor at a big church with uh, several other pastors. And I'd be fine. I said, the one thing I can't do is church plant. And everybody else around me was saying, no, we think that's the thing you should do. And it started this year-long process. I almost chafed because I'm really bad at listening to God sometimes. Uh, he, he says go, and I say, give me like 10 more signs, and, and I'll, I'll be on my way. Um, and so it, it spent the year just kind of in this back-and-forth process of God saying, you know, I really want you to look into this. And finally, I ended up at a church plan assessment center, which was a huge blessing and and they're they're intense you do uh basically personality interviews against you and other uh church planters and then you do all kinds of uh leadership uh kind of projects and two five minute sermons which for most pastors is a hurdle in and of itself and uh and then psychological evaluations all kinds of stuff and so i knew when i came in that weekend i'd get some really solid uh advice on what to do and i said okay god whatever you say at this uh i'm gonna listen and uh, I sat down with my assessor at the end of the weekend, and he said, we think you should plant the church. We're green lighting you. And I said, no way. <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, it's, God, it can't, you know, let's throw out another fleece uh, and see, see what happens. And I just kind of came to this moment where I was sitting there kind of thinking about, okay, here are the different options I could go with for, you know, basically my first call is what we call it in the Lutheran church. And uh I realized that, you know, some calls were going to take me to a place that I knew I'd be okay on my own skills and my own abilities. I said, the one thing that scared the heck out of me was planting a church. And I knew that was the place where I would be outside of what I knew how I could do. And that was going to be the perfect place to grow closer to God. And, and so uh, I decided to leave. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, I was just messing with some equipment there trying to get things better on my end. Now, one thing I have to say that surprised me when all that you were just saying, you passed the psychological evaluation? Uh, it surprises me still today. <laughs> uh, I, You know, maybe maybe it's not a pass, but maybe it's a really, this is the only thing this guy could do is, is start a church because we don't feel comfortable sending him anywhere else. I don't know. So. I figure all of us, if, we, if you're in ministry, you have to be crazy to some degree already. Oh, yeah. It, it's so true. It's so true. Now, now Pastor Matt, the, the church at the point, they're going to be listening to this, and chances are they could have heard me use a word that they're not familiar with because you don't really talk about it explicitly too often at the point, but I think it's there every Sunday constantly, and that's the word apologetics. Could you care to explain it for the audience out there and for the people at the point? Yeah, uh, kind of for me, um, what I've come to know in apologetics as is, is basically the defense of the faith. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions people have is that uh, you you have to just kind of take everything on blind faith and, you know, Christianity doesn't really stack up. And, you know, if you really, mm -hmm. you know, put the right arguments together, you know, it's not going to work out. Or, or my favorite, um, and by favorite I mean the most uh, aggravating, is when people will just flat out think that being a Christian is unintellectual. Yeah. And, and the reality is apologetics is this area where um, all these defenses for the faith, uh, so all these people that have questions about why this couldn't be, or how's the Bible true, or could could Jesus uh, really be God made man, or could he really raise from the dead? 
all these questions become answered and, and what you begin to find out is uh, there's some highly intellectual um, arguments. Uh, so many, in fact, that it becomes more appropriate to look and say, well, how could you not believe yeah. this? I, I think sometimes it, it takes less faith to believe in Jesus than it does to not believe in him. Uh, so, yeah. which I know is kind of a, a funny way of thinking about it, but um, I, I think it's a really a really important field because I, I think what most people miss is this. Yeah, there's going to be things about God we can't answer, and some questions that will do more damage than good. Uh, it's that it's that old Lutheran in me saying hidden versus revealed God. And anytime mm. we try and answer hidden God questions, you know, we're always going to find another mask. That's what Luther used to say. And so he said, when you when you encounter a hidden God question run to the revealed God. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are, because of the nature of who God is, and, and if you think about it, a being that is so big, he encompasses the universe. You know, you're, not, you're never going to understand completely. Even, even in glory, you're never going to completely understand God. But there are so many things about God we get to know because God reveals them to us. Uh, and that's, that's where apologetic steps in and just does a beautiful job of saying, here's how we can understand the things that God has revealed to us even more deeply. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that, that your church was able to do something like that was what really drew me in big time because it's wonderful to see a church taking the life of a mind very seriously. And it was a great place that I got to be used and I'm still being used even from a distance today. And well, you really—I mean—it's been a huge, huge help. I mean, and if you don't mind, like I've got this little, this little soapbox thing that I just have—I have to share since you're giving me the opportunity. Which is, I think people feel like if you're going to go in depth theologically, that you're going to automatically uh, disinclude anybody that's outside the faith. Right. And, and what I've found is that's just not true. Mm-hmm. I've found that you can do both. You can create an atmosphere where you explain things on a level somebody who's never stepped into church before can step in and understand. But you can also do things in such a way where, where you're plumbing the depths uh, of Scripture. I, I love the quote. I'm going to totally steal it. It was for the Gospel of John. It's, he said this Gospel is simple enough for a child to wade in, deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And I think the truth is that's all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I think, we can, I think we can set up church in that way where there's aspects of church that are that are shallow enough for a child to wade in and yet aspects that are that are deep enough for an elephant to swim in. I think you can do the same in the same message. Mm-hmm. Well, let's ask a question first about church family. That could be on people's mind. I mean, I'm driving around Atlanta here looking. I drive out a mile. There's a church right there. I'm driving down a mile. There's another church. Churches are everywhere. It's like they're breeding like rabbits. Why do we need to plant new churches? I, you know, I, I love, I, I love a quote um, that that I've heard often. It's, it's on mm-hmm. uh, some of my Facebook images. It's basically, um, it, it says the best evangelistic strategy is to plant new churches. Mm-hmm. New, new churches reach new people, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, there, there may be a church on every corner in the South, like in Atlanta and in in Knoxville. But what mm-hmm. I found was. There are still people who are disconnected. The average mm-hmm. community you step into in America, including mm-hmm. Knoxville, that at one time was number one Bible-believing you know, church, uh, city in America, 83% of people mm-hmm. are disconnected completely from Christianity. 83%. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sorry, but, but until, until those 83% are reached, there's always room for, for one more church. Mm-hmm. 
Now, that's the talk, then, about how your church does apologetics unknowingly to a lot of the people in the church. We go in, hypothetically, I mean, we can't do that right now, but we go into the service, we sit down, we take our seats, and by the way, let's start with where we're sitting. We're not sitting in a church building, are we? <laughs> no, no. Actually, uh, you're, you're sitting in the middle of a movie theater in the middle of a mall in Knoxville, Tennessee, the Regal Cinema uh, in Westtown Mall, to be precise. Uh-huh. Why? You know, I wanted, whenever we started church, I wanted to start a church in, uh, in a third space. So uh, the third space concept was simply this. It was... You know, you have your first place, which is your home. You have your second place, which is where you work, uh, go to school, all that. Third place is where those places that people gather, people hang out. Um, that's not home. It's not work. It's like uh, the Starbucks coffee shop that you love uh, to go to or the, the bar that you like to frequent with your friends, the, the playground you go to with your kids. Those are all third spaces. And so when we were starting the church, I was really looking for that third space, a place where we could meet people in the middle and, and I'm a highly visual person and I was trying to think okay where could we where could we start a church where we could have the room we need um, to be able to do church to grow um, and yet it would still be that comfortable place and uh, when I happened upon the Westtown Regal because I really did happen upon it I just had never been in the mall yet when I moved to Knoxville and I walked in the mall and I was on the lower level and on the lower level you don't really know the movie theaters there because it's on level two and it's this little hallway, if you're in the mall, that takes you up there. And I thought, well, okay, I'll go look at this little movie theater. And so I go up, and it literally like a little city opened up. And there was this huge movie theater. And one of the managers took me through the whole thing. I mean, showed me all the ins and outs of this Regal Cinema. And so I, I was like, man, it would be so cool to do church here. Do they even do that? Now, little did I know, they have a whole uh, church division at Regal uh, that helps with that. So um, I got hooked up with that, and, and we were able to do church there. And so... It was exciting for me because when you pick a third space uh, for church, a lot of the rules and the expectations culturally that go along with that third space can, can be kind of tacked on to people's understanding of church. So if you've never stepped into church before, there can be a real hesitation because you don't really understand what the rules are. So, okay, uh, where do I go? What doors do I go into? You know, those are all basic questions when you go somewhere new, but then when you're inside, you know, what, what are the social standards that people follow in this place, you know? And, and you're constantly on high alert that you're going to violate some. And so what we did when we started our church was we put it right here in the middle of a movie theater, and we tried to keep as many of the social norms for a movie theater as we could. So people can bring their drinks in. Uh, people can, you know, uh, uh, walk into the movie and they see a big movie screen, and, and we light that sucker up with a big projector, and, and we've got, you know, live music and stuff's different. But we wanted, we wanted church to be as familiar as going to a movie so that somebody who'd never been to church before would be able to come out. And that's, that's been a real asset for us because the average person coming out is about 10 to 20 years disconnected from church if they've ever been to church at all. The offering is even collected in popcorn buckets. Yes, uh, that that probably comes a little bit from my cheesy uh, personality and uh, some very um, ingenuitive uh, volunteers like uh, like Les Greeby who got us some popcorn buckets. But yeah, uh, it's it, yeah. So we collected in popcorn buckets. <laughs> now, now, we, so we walk into this movie theater, we sit down, and the next thing we're told is to put our phones on set array. And oh wait, wait, we're not told that, are we? No, you know what? That's a that's got that's my communications background coming out. You know, I 
I was always struck by a quote I heard from Erwin McManus. I read it in an article, actually. And he said, you know, when the early Christians spread Christianity, they didn't build new roads to carry the gospel. He said they used the roads the Romans had already built. And, and that really formed me in a lot of different areas of my ministry mm-hmm. and my life. And one of them was with technology. I, I was trying to reach uh, a very hard-to-reach group. We were originally set out to reach 24- to 34-year-old males disconnected from church. And, and so when I started thinking about how are we going to have this place where disconnected people can ask questions, I thought, well, the perfect spot to ask questions is to start texting them in. And so right from the outset, I wanted to encourage people to use their phones. And then uh, a, few, a year or so in, we started a mobile app uh, in which we were able to uh, post up our message notes and post up old messages and, and all kinds of other things. So, so it just became more and more a part of the service. So rather than tell people to put something away that they're already so tempted to use, we wanted to tell people to pull it out and use it as a discipleship resource to encourage them to use their phones and to encourage them to use it for their own discipleship. And so that's uh, really why we do that, is we want to walk the road that people are already walking, and we just want to put the gospel there so people can just encounter the gospel where they're at. Yeah, in fact, before we get to what I really liked about what you just said, one of the first aspects is check in on Facebook. Because everyone's checking your Facebook page. Let them know you're at church. Yeah, you know, um, I I had the opportunity at my... um, at my alma mater, Concordia Seminary, to go back and do uh, the Day of Ham. And uh, what they wanted me to talk about was uh, basically engaging the digital age, which is using technology uh, in not just in worship, but in outreach and in the church period. And and one of the things I found um, from doing this that that we were doing a little bit, but I was really able to make it more intentional through the research, um, was there are so many avenues to share the gospel now. And, And really... You've got two audiences whenever you're preaching. You've got the audience that's right in front of you. And, and then you've got what uh, marketers and communication experts have started calling the back channel, uh, which is the reality that every audience you speak to has an audience. And so when we encourage things like checking in on Facebook or we encourage people to pull out their phones, what we're doing is we're encouraging them to engage their own audience as well, the back channel. And what happens is the gospel begins to spread out through that back channel. And so what we found is people are sharing parts of the message that make an impact on them, or, or they want to share the fact that they're at church and it's making an impact in their life. And, and sometimes people don't know that's okay. And so we just, we just flat out encourage it. We say, yeah, absolutely, pull that phone out, you know, check in on Facebook, let people know you're here, you know, encouraging people that, hey, it's okay for you to share what you're learning and what you're experiencing in this place, because you never know how what you're experiencing uh, and, and what you share out could allow somebody else to experience. Uh, it's it's kind of like our vision. Our vision's simple. Experience, connect, and reflect. I believe that if we go where people are and we allow them to experience the gospel, they'll connect to the gospel. And the gospel will make them a reflection of what they're connected to, which is the gospel and something different. And that reflection can then be used for somebody else to experience the gospel. And so we try to do that in every aspect of our church, and social media is just one more aspect we're trying to do that. Before we go to our next question, we've only got you for an hour today due to some time constraints on your part, which I understand. So I'm going to go ahead and announce early that who we're going to be having on next time. And I, I'm pretty sure we got this book down here. There's been a lot of confusion going on lately with dates and such, but I think we're going to have Jonathan Grant coming on from in, from Australia, actually. And we're going to be talking about his book, Divine Sex. 
Yes, this is going to be an interesting interview. <laughs> yeah. I'll be I'll be tuning into that one. That sounds like a good one. Yeah. So um, if if you're tuning in, then I hope to give you a very good interview with if Jonathan Grant on his book Divine Sex. For now, we're going to get back to my pastor Matt at the point in Knoxville, Tennessee, the church that we were members of when we were in Knoxville, and the only reason we left was because we moved to Atlanta. If there was anything that was holding us back in Knoxville, it was we love our church and we didn't want to leave, but, you know, the pros and cons eventually just outweighed, and it, it was more beneficial for us to come here, but we still miss our church. But now, let's uh, talk about something else you said there. You said people text in their questions. What on earth are you talking about? So I, I had this, um, I've always had this passion to let people know that it's okay to have questions. And, and I actually, it was a concept that I got of all places from working with youth on my internship. Um, I, I was in charge of the youth Bible study and I was trying to figure out, okay, what in the world do these kids want to study? Because I had now been out of high school for, you know, uh, probably getting close to a decade. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just sitting here going okay, you know, I, I want to be relevant to where they're at and I want to be able to share scripture, but I know that they've got questions on their mind. And this is honestly what I thought. I honestly thought I would ask for questions and we would get a bunch of silly, stupid responses and I'd get maybe one or two good questions we could build off and kind of go from there. So I handed out note cards and, and just a pencil and I said, okay, uh, go ahead and uh, write down your questions and uh, submit them anonymously and we'll address them. And what I found was, we got all serious questions, and, and the one kind of funny question we got was just worded in a funny way, um, but it was still a serious question. I, I saw it happen again when I did an East Region uh, youth gathering in the Lutheran Church, and, and all of a sudden I was like, well, why wouldn't this work with adults? And so I always wanted to do that, and so we decided to implement the texting platform because you know most 24 to 34-year-old males text, and, and the group we were reaching I knew could text, and most people could text actually at that time. And so um, it, it really was great. What I didn't realize was unintentionally we answered a question that was starting to become a center of culture, which is because of all the platforms we have, all the social media we have, uh, big businesses have learned this. Feedback is no longer an option. It's a demand people have. Um, and, and communication for people always has to be two-way now. And so a lot of times as church, we think, you know, we do things in the old way um, and we forget that there's this new culture that demands to communicate in a new way. And so just by opening up that questions platform, I was able to present a consistent message the same way I would in any church. Um, but by opening up the questions platform, what we did was we pulled down that wall and we actually opened up an avenue where people could give feedback. And through giving feedback, what I found was people were more willing to listen. And so people who were agnostic, atheists, they felt comfortable sitting in church. And it wasn't because I was changing the truth of Scripture or watering things down, not talking right. about issues. We could talk about the same stuff you know, that the Bible was bringing up. The difference was they no longer felt like it was me telling them what to do. They felt like it was a conversation. Mm -hmm. And they, could, they knew they could engage in that conversation at any time. And we were able to do that in an orderly way that would work when we were – 55 people or could work now that we're closer to 250 people. Mm -hmm. So someone texts in their question. What happens then? Uh, somebody texts in their question, and it goes to a, a platform online. I used like a basic um, marketing platform. I started with Poll Everywhere and moved to a thing called uh, iZig. 
Um, and so that question comes in and, and basically I see all those questions come to one spot. So they don't have to text to my phone, which would be probably more of a distraction for me than for anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, but they come in and then basically what I'm able to do from that end is I am able to read the questions. And then what I do is stand up and read the questions to people. Um, you could do it a, a bunch of different ways. You get a moderator and throw them up on the screen. But, you know, when we were first starting out, it worked well for me that way. Um, and now, you know, even though we've grown, it's still the easiest way for me to do it. And so I'll take those questions and I'll be in, on the side of the stage for uh, roughly a song. Um, and that gives me time to really think about it, process it. If, if there was anything that was going to shock or surprise me, I can have that shock or surprise in private. Uh, and then, you know, be able to get up and not offend somebody who, who's asking a legitimate question. Um, mm -hmm. and, and really, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the questions I get are legitimate uh, questions. Yeah. Rarely would I ever get a question that, that wasn't in that heart or vein. Yeah, and I suspect one of the reasons that the questions are shared at the end is because if one person has asked that question, there are probably many, many more who wanted to but just didn't feel like they had the courage to ask it. Oh, absolutely. I, I see that a lot, you mm -hmm. know, where people are like, oh, yeah, that was my question. You know, so um, it's really cool to be able to engage in that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's an important thing. And there's there, so many people that have the same question. Yeah. And there are some questions that you give at some of you say, these are very complicated questions. I'm not going to give it like a pat answer here, but I'm going to put up a video log later this week. Mm -hmm. Could you explain about that some? That you know, that's been a that's been a lifesaver for me. Uh and really the reason we did that was I wanted to be honest with people. I think a lot of times if you throw out a platform like that, everybody assumes you have to have an answer. And that's not the case. I think people are just as satisfied to know that somebody was willing to engage with the question, mm -hmm. um, even though they didn't feel like they had a great answer. Um, but they know now that they're not alone in that question. Uh, and so that's that's just as important as, as giving them an answer. And, and then the other reality is this. You know, every question is driven by a question or, or by a thought. And, and so the same question can have multiple answers. You see this all the time in apologetics. So somebody oh, yeah. asks, ask that basic question, you know, this is the one that, that people get a lot. Well, what's God going to do about those people in, you know, those countries that, that nobody's reached yet? What, what's he going to do about their salvation if they die and don't ever get a chance to hear Jesus? You know, you hear that question a lot, but what we don't think about a lot of times in the field of apologetics uh, when we're just, you know, actively participating in it is that question is driven uh, by a reason. Mm -hmm. a and the reason can change your response to that question. Mm -hmm. And so what I've always found is the best thing to do is to say, okay, well, that's a great question. Why do you ask it? And all of a sudden what you're doing by asking a question is you're engaging in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you're showing this person that I'm not just going to answer your question, Pat. I, I really want to know who you are and where this question's coming from. And it can allow you to, to give a better response, uh, a more tailored response, not, not, a, not a different response or an untruthful response, but uh, a response that's more appropriately tailored to the intent behind the question. Uh, and so, you know, when we're doing it on Sunday, there's opportunities where I'll stand up and I'll basically say, look, there could be a couple answers to this question, and I don't know why you're asking it. So part of having the platform is being able to engage further and deeper into a question that might have a few different answers. Um, the other reason to have that platform is for that moment where I'm like, I don't know. So I don't have to stand up there and, and make something up because I think nothing would kill credibility faster than as if I stood up and said, you know what, I'm just, this is what it is, and it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I want to give myself the time to be able to honor that platform and give give a good answer. Yeah, and I'd like to let everyone know that I mean this is how seriously things are taken <clears throat> with church. Like for instance, I remember texting one of my friends once he was in the projects during service. I can't believe it. I'm hearing a sermon on the Canaanite conquest. I have never <laughs> heard this at a church before. But Pastor Matt was talking about giving all these answers to questions, and what I really respect now is that he knows the material very well. There was, ne- there was never a Sunday when I was sitting in the church, I was like, get a text, Nick, come help me. I don't know what to say to this one. <laughs> nope, nope. He, he, he gave good answers every time, and that always impressed me. I well I I mean I appreciate it. It's uh it's always been it's been fun, you know. Um but I I'm just really thankful that I was blessed with the opportunity to to get a masters in divinity. Yeah. Um I know not everybody gets that opportunity and I don't think it's a necessity. Uh it isn't a Lutheran church for becoming a pastor, but I don't think it's a necessity for becoming a pastor, but I just feel blessed that God gave me the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And um you know the when I walked in they they basically said I was at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I know I've mentioned it, but I love throwing plugs for my alma mater. And uh, they basically said, we don't want to give you all the answers here, but we want to give you a, a tool set that you can use to engage the theological questions of your time. Mm-hmm. And they did not realize at that time how vital that was going to be for, for my generation of pastor because everything has shifted so radically in our culture through, um, you know, we're, we're basically in the midst of a cultural shift um, that you could compare to uh, the time of the printing press. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. that's the radical cultural shift we're in. And so not to mention that we're in a, you know, a, a radically different political culture and the church stands in a radically different place culturally than it ever did before. And so to be able to step into that with a tool chest, you know, to be able to not have pat answers, but to be able to have uh, some abilities to go find answers has just been a huge asset that I that I just can't thank my seminary and all my professors enough for giving me. Now, when we are talking about the church meeting on Sundays, it used to be that was pretty much the only place you could find a point. But now at West Elm Mall in Knoxville, you can be walking around through the week on doing your shopping at the mall and such, looking around, maybe hearing some time. And there was a new store, really, at the mall now, isn't there? <laughs> There, there is, and it's just another example of how God does some things that just, I mean, uh, literally, I, I'm sorry, but the, the only way to say it is it blows my mind. Um, we, uh, one of our, uh, one of our members, actually Les Greeby, um, good friend, retired guy who's been a part of the church since we started, uh, was, was mall walking with his wife, Jan, and, uh, he saw this storefront and it was vacant. And he said, you know, I bet we could use that for an office space. And I said, I said, Les, there's no way we could afford that. I've asked about using kiosks before. And uh, he said, well, I'm just going to ask. And so he asked. And, you know, I don't know if it was a relationship with the mall. I know it was a God thing. And, you know, relationships he put in our life. But um, they knew who we were. Um, we had a previous relationship. They liked us. Um, it wasn't a space that was necessarily desirable for mm-hmm. a lot of other businesses. But it was perfect for us. And, um, so we got a deal. We just, we couldn't turn down. And so now we actually have an open office space in the mall. Um, West town malls, usually 97% full. It's uh, it'll see a million people a year walk through it. And now in the middle of that mall that a million people will walk through, there's a, there's a church and we give away free coffee and free Wi-Fi, 
And we'll talk to around 100 people a week that aren't connected to our church that just come in and casually have conversations. We've seen people baptized from conversations they had uh, just walking into the space. Um, had an opportunity to pray with a lady yesterday who um, I, I would have probably never encountered other, other than the fact that we were right there in the middle of the mall. And so it's been really cool. We've actually gotten to use it for even unique outreach opportunities like uh, doing a careers in retail where we do job training for people and get to connect with people we wouldn't connect with otherwise. So it's been a real uh, a real God thing to see how he's he's worked in that way. Yeah, there have been times when Allie and I had to go out and do some shopping around and such, have some appointments in West Town, and we'd have a little bit of time left, and we didn't want to go all the way back home and then go all the way back out and say, why don't we just go to church? Okay, we'll go to church. And we just go and walk in, sit down, and, you know, she'd talk to people. I'd break out my Kinder and such and connectable Wi-Fi, do everything I wanted to do there. And and usually I'd uh, try and sneak in some tea instead, but you know, I, I was a big tea advocate there and still am. But, yeah, and it, it just got, struck me one day I thought, we're actually talking about what are we going to do that we can enjoy for a while before we have to do the next thing. Hey, let's go to church. <laughs> that's not what most of us would say. It's so true. It's so true. Um, but it definitely has been just a, a, a really neat space to get to, you know, have an office in. It took me a little bit to figure out how to work there. Uh, but... Man, once once we got it down, it was it's it's been a blast, and it's it's opened up opportunities that would not have been available otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we go on to our next segment, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, Deeper Waters it's a listener supported ministry. We depend on the support of people like you, and we could really use it. I mean, we've been going through a very difficult time here. We've had a few disasters take place since we moved to Atlanta. The, uh, our car breaking down and us having to get another one. And Allie's going through a rough time right now. I don't need to say anything more about that, but some of you out there know what's going on. And then, lo and behold, it looks like I'm going to have to have a root canal. Well, not a root canal, three of them. Oh, now, wow. we think we've got some people who are going to help us out with a benevolence fund, possibly. But, yeah, you can imagine what we're going through and such. And we always need the support of people like you to help keep things going. I mean, we're, we're working on opening up other avenues and such, but I mean, Deeper Waters, it's still always going to be going on. But if you want to support us, go to uh, deeperwaters.ddns.net. That's my website. I was just look for Deeper Waters and Nick Peters. And there's a link, Help Support the Work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. Now, if you click that link, you'll get taken to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. You have gone to the right place. That's the ministry of my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And when you click there, and you can make a donation. And then you contact me or Ari or Mike or Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. They will make sure you get that, that and we get your donation. And that donation will be 100% tax deductible. And it will go towards us entirely so we can keep doing what we're doing. And we really appreciate your donations. We appreciate any encouraging messages you send. And if you really like this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a positive review. I love reading those great reviews. They're so awesome here. 
Yeah, I'm going to say a little something about that when we're done with this uh, <laughs> call for donations here. Um, and also, we, you can go to the Amazon store, and there's a link where you can buy books that I've written or co-written, e-books, like uh, Defining Inerrancy, or People of a Point. I'd like to let you know about this. If you're a member of a point, get in touch with Pastor Matt, because I've already talked about this. One of those books is A Creed for the Ages, a look at the Apostles' Creed, because you say the Apostles' Creed regularly. I wrote an e-book on it with a foreword by Robert Kolb, of course, and I've told yes. Pastor Matt before. <laughs> I've told Pastor Matt before, anyone from the point, if they want it, I want you to give it to them for free. So if you are listening, this is a free e-book if you're from the point, okay? And finally, guys, uh, you want to look good with your women, right? I mean, hey, we all do. We know how important it is that the ladies in our lives are happy. How about jewelry to do that? Where there's another link there <clears throat> where you can support us through buying jewelry. You go there. My friend Lena Kester handles that. Says, use the code word love and get in touch with her. Wherever you purchase jewelry for the women in your life, 25% goes to deeper waters. So that sounds like a pretty good deal. Now, Pastor Matt, do you have anything that you'd like to, uh, any organization you'd like to see people donate to? Uh, well, yeah, I would definitely say um, if, if you guys get the opportunity to check out um, supportthepoint.com. If you want to support uh, our church, you can do that. That's uh, supportthepoint.com. You can also find out more about The Point at thepointknox.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or download The Point Knox uh, mobile app. And then actually a, a passion area for me, I've got one free thing since uh, uh, it's really cool to give away free things. Uh, we wrote a seven-day devotional for people um, who are just starting to connect to faith. I, I couldn't find, uh, this has kind of been a burning thing for me, I couldn't find a good devotional that really did, did a good job of, of really hitting grace and hitting grace hard for people that are new to the faith. It was always, you know, do this, do this, do this, and then maybe day like six or seven they would say, oh yeah, and by the way, you're saved by grace. Uh, so... <laughs> We uh, we wrote a seven-day devotional for people new to the faith. You can go to newto.faith. That's newto.faith, um, and you can download uh, copies of that. You can download uh, iBooks version, uh, EPUB version, or PDF version. And uh, for any of you church leaders out there, because I know probably a lot of church leaders uh, listen to this, um, we are actually going to be uploading the printable template soon, so you can actually print that book out yourself. Um, and uh, distribute that to people um, who are newer to the faith. And our goal in that was just basically to help people out who are who are just coming into faith, figure out what faith is all about. So that's uh, newto.faith, um, and you can get all that stuff there. And if you want to uh, support that uh, or any of our church plant training and stuff like that, uh, simply go to supportchurchplanting.com. Um, that supportchurchplanting.com is a great resource to be able to support our church plant training program and uh, planting new churches. Now, when I was talking about the iTunes review, something that came to my mind is I was talking to you once during a Sunday about a good email that I got. And this was an advice, some advice you gave me, and I've kept it, and I'll share it with others. And I was, whenever you get a good message, put it in a folder on your computer called Encouragement, because you will need it later on. And I have oh, yeah. indeed needed it. So yes, people, I can tell you folks, iTunes reviews that are good and positive, they have been a blessing that I've needed. 
Yeah, that I call it. I call it my kudos file, <laughs> and I've been I've been filling it up uh, over the years. And my mentor actually suggested that I do that. And uh, man, it's it's really it really is a blessing because ministry ministry is tough. Yeah. And um, I think I think the more the more encouragements like that we can keep around, the better. Mm. Now let's talk about another outreach thing. It was because of your church that Allie and I first went to a bar together. <laughs> what on earth would we be doing at a bar? Well, uh, yeah, so I guess I need to backtrack a little bit because I know we have a, a very denominational background listening. Um, I, I come from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, uh, a beer has never been a big issue for us. It's um, factory of yeah, it's practically a sacrament being good Germans and, and Protestants. So, um, we, uh, yeah, I, I, a little funny story before I dive into that is, uh, my first day of seminary, I'm out there playing softball. I'd just gotten to campus, like unloaded my room and was playing softball before classes started. And, uh, I see this guy rolling out, uh, a little, uh, kegerator. And I was like, what? And he rolls it all the way out to the softball field and he says, hey guys, this is the, the beer that was left over from Provenstein. Feel free to have some while you play softball. And I said, did I step onto the wrong, did I just move my stuff into the wrong school? Because uh, I went to public school and you couldn't do this. And, and now here I am at this parochial seminary and they're like, hey, have a beer. So <laughs> in the in the Lutheran church, um, even though we're in the south, uh, that's never been an issue so it's allowed me a lot of freedom to go places um people don't normally get to encounter the church which was our whole mission which is connected disconnected and if we're going to ex- allow people to experience grace uh we've got to go where people grace are and we always do that um trying to be the best reflection possible of the gospel and so for me alcohol has never been an issue so i could step into a bar and i could have a beer and i was not tempted to have 50 or 10 or however many you could have Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now put me in front of a Chinese buffet, and it's a far different story. I'm a far less of a reflection of God in front of a, a Chinese buffet than I am a, a bar stool. But um, so uh, oftentimes I would go out to bars and get to connect with people, do a beer run at a bar. And one time I was just like, it'd be really cool to be able to have church in a bar and, and allow people to experience church in the place they go. So we basically rented, uh, we did it one time early. And then uh, we happen to have a really good worship coordinator, um, phenomenal worship coordinator, and, and a, a band. And so we said, hey, would you guys be interested in playing for like an hour and a half at a bar? And we'll basically do a worship service. But it's a worship service where we're going to mix in worship music and then songs people are used to hearing. And then I'm going to get up and give a really uh, short gospel-centered message. Um, and we'll take an offering, but the offering will go to you know something outside our church. And they were all about it. So we started a thing called Bar Church. And when people ask, what's Bar Church? I basically say it's kind of like happy hour meets church. And what I noticed with Bar Church was we were able to connect with a lot of people who wouldn't even have come out to our movie theater church for the first time. But they would come to a bar. And what I noticed was when people would invite friends, um, they wouldn't just have one or two friends with them. Like groups of friends would come with them to a Bar Church event, which just I mean, absolutely blew my mind. So um, we we started doing this thing called uh, Bar Church, and uh, we just basically did the same thing we do on Sunday mornings. Uh, and the joke we always made was this: you know, if you come back to the point on a Sunday, it's going to be a lot like the like this uh, Bar Church event with less beer and more wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
Now, e even moving beyond <clears throat> that, not only do you go to bar church, if you're at beer fest or a tattoo convention, for point is likely there, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, our summer, you know, a lot of churches ramp down for the summer. We actually ramp up um, because our city's out, and we want to be out with our city. And so uh, we go to things like uh, Brewfest uh, for the same reason we can go to bar church, and we go to things like uh, tattoo convention, and we go to dragon boat races, and we anywhere we can go in the summer um, and and be a part of the community and just be in a place where people are already going to be gathering. We want to go do um, because it's an opportunity to meet people where they are. Uh, so that's our goal: just meet people where they are, have have spiritual conversations, and. Uh, be able to hopefully see some people connected to Christ through it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, in all of this, a lot of people might be listening, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff and it sounds good, but I'm kind of a bit scared. I mean, you're going to all these people who could be also antagonistic. Are we watering down the message? Are we changing? Are we backing away from the essentials and such? And I mean, I would say no. Everything I've heard is good, firm, conservative and such. But what would you say? Um, I, I was uh, absolutely 110%. I mean, we we are not watering anything down. In fact, that's the reason I wanted to take questions because we weren't going to water it down. Yeah. Um, something I was struck by is is we often forget that while our faith is deeply intellectual, um, also at the root, just because something's deeply intellectual doesn't mean it has to be hard to explain. Right. Um, which I know is counterintuitive, but where I really resonated with that was when I was reading Luther's introduction to his Galatians commentary. Um, I had already been through Lutheran Mind in seminary. I think this was my summer, summer, uh, second summer there on seminary campus, and I was taking this class um, on the epistles, and we were reading uh, through Galatians. And uh, so I'm sitting here reading this introduction from Luther, and it was amazing. And what amazed me was he captured these deep theological concepts but he did it in a way where the average peasant could understand it. And, and then it really blew my mind because what I realized was I was reading something that was translated from German. So he had, he had conveyed things in such a simple way that even when you were translating it from German to English, it made sense. And so for me, that's been the model of our church is we're not going to water things down. We're not going to change the truth of the gospel because the second you change the truth of the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. You have something that has no power to, to change somebody's life. And so I don't want to change the gospel. I want to explain the gospel in terms people can understand, in the language they speak, because that's the powerful thing about the gospel. If you look through church history, what you will find is the gospel has never changed. And in fact, that's why you've had reformations, to bring people back to what the gospel actually is. But what has is the way, is the language in which the gospel was shared. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, that's why you have the Great Schism, right? Do we do it in Greek or do we do it in Latin? Now, I know there was a lot of other things around that, like power plays and things like that, but that was one of the arguments that was going on during the Great Schism, is what language are we going to convey this in? And, and it's changed. You know, Greek's been dominant, then Latin was dominant, and then the, the big deal was when Luther put the Bible in German and, and when Tyndale put the Bible in English. And, you know, the, the Bible has always been translated into the language of the people, and the gospel has always found this way to integrate with the culture it's in, to separate out the bad from that culture and to, to explain itself to people in, in the language of the culture so that people could get connected to the gospel and to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, when... 
we were talking about this also. One of the things that uh, I'm remembering, and I'm not going to give us exactly right, was usually at the start of this sermon, you or before the service, you play this short little video to kind of, I think, like lighten the mood, get people feeling comfortable and such. And one of ones that I remember I really liked was talking about at our church, I went over and it'd say, and we're just a group of people united on the on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And oh, by the way, at our church, we believe that actually happened. <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to cheer so many times when I heard that. Yeah, you know, man, that has been the beautiful, beautiful thing about uh, just the age we're living in. Is there so, there's access to so many great videos and resources that people have done to be able to share uh, the real truth of the gospel, mm-hmm. and so we've just really, you know, tried to maximize every avenue possible to do that. And and yeah, we we you know we believe the core orthodox things of the faith, yeah. and I think that's important because because the second you you go away from the orthodox faith, you go away from the gospel, and if you don't have the gospel, you don't have Christianity, and you don't have something powerful that can change somebody's life. You know, I'm sure I'm not the first <clears throat> one who was raising these kinds of questions, but doesn't it seem kind of sad that a lot of people think as soon as you start going, you start going to bars and tattoo conventions and things like that, where surely that means you're compromising on the gospel in some way. Yeah, you know, it really, it really is sad. Um, but you know, there, there's kind of a healthy side to that too, yeah. and, and this is something I've learned. And I've learned it from other other leaders, other people who um, have talked on leadership and are doing things that are outside the box. Um, doing outside the box things are, are, are going to create questions. And rather than just dismiss the questions, I think it's important to engage them. And you have to engage them at the proper level. Obviously, I can't spend all my time worried about uh, what somebody else thinks about our ministry or how, how we're doing the things we're doing. But every once in a while, what I do have to do is I have to take a step back and I have to ask myself the question, is what we're doing honoring to the gospel? And is it going to share the gospel or is it going to do more damage to people's perception of the gospel? And in fact, you know, let's go back to that bar church example. I wrestled with that when we were first doing re-kicking up bar church and, and I had a lot of hesitations. And I actually, uh, when I was talking to my counselor, talked about that with him and said, hey, you know, what do you think? And, um, you know, we, we noticed some spiritual warfare from that. You know, we had somebody who who began kind of blasting us on our Facebook page. And it's the first and only person I think we've ever had to ban from our Facebook page, uh, surprisingly. But it just kind of got out of hand, and we engaged it properly mm-hmm. and well. And But just at some point, it was no longer healthy for anybody. And, um, you know, the, the crazy thing is, though, even in that, the question had to be asked, is this really honoring to God, and are we doing what we need to do to further the gospel, or are we taking away from the gospel? And and I think if we're not asking that question, um, then then we're missing out on the accountability we need as as believers and Christians. <clears throat> I'd like to say something also about how you're talking about reaching everyone wherever you are. I mean, when Ari and I go to church, we can really be different. I mean, we both want the firm orthodox position, but for me, I'm the guy who says, stroke my intellectual Musters get me thinking about something. If you sit down and tell me the same pablum I've heard over and over, I'm going to get bored and I'm going to tune you out. But meanwhile, Ali's sitting right next to me and says, look, I don't want fluff and such, but don't go over my head. I mean, mm. I'm not a brilliant intellect, 
or anything. I'm not stupid, but I'm not a brilliant intellect. And I, I just want something that can reach me. She and I can be sitting next to each other, listening to the exact same message. We both get something out of it. And that, to me, is something very powerful. Well, that's that's definitely a humbling thing to hear because mm-hmm. that's that's always my goal in preaching mm-hmm. is, is I want... I, I don't want to sacrifice content, but basically when I preach, I, I basically envision um, a congregation that's that's filled, and there's there's somebody in that seat mm-hmm. who has who has never been to church before, and they've never opened the Bible before. And for me, that's a non-negotiable when I'm preaching. I, I want to have a message that will speak to that person. And what I found is it doesn't mean you have to water down the message. Um, yeah. it, what it means is don't make assumptions about what people already know. Uh, be willing to basically, I mean, for lack of a better, you know, term, um, be willing to basically explain some things. So, for example, you know, we kind of take the stance that, you know, some some other churches have taken guys like uh, Andy Stanley and stuff like that, which is, I'm not just going to simply say, hey, uh, open up, we're reading in Romans today. I'll tell people where it is. Or I'm not just going to say, Paul said, I'm going to explain to people who Paul is, because mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who don't know who Paul is. And, and the other thing I found was I found our people who had been in faith their entire life. They appreciated that because a lot of times, you know, we make these assumptions in, in traditional church that, hey, these people should know this or this. And then the people begin yeah. to think they should know it and they feel bad when they don't. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, oh, I mean, me and my friends and such who are listening to this and people who are listening to this, they have a deep interest in the intellectual matters and usually what I've found in most churches is, is if I'm sitting in the audience and the pastor up there knows, hey, there's someone out here with a seminary education and such and he's listening to my sermon, that gets them very scared a lot of times. And I never saw any hint of that. In, in fact, it, it there never was any time I thought that you and I were in any sort of Competition. I was just. We all want to know how can we best work together. And when you were one that came and said, "Here's how we think we can use you best at our church." And it's been having having you a part of the church and continuing to. You know, most people don't know this. Uh, some people know, um, but a lot of people don't. Is is we do personalized content for all our connection groups uh, based on our messages. But the only reason that's been doable um, over the last several years is because Nick, you've put it together and, and it was I, I'll never forget uh, sitting down with you when when we first said hey I, you know I want you to do this and getting to start talking about it and then the, the meeting where I said okay here's what it looks like you know I explained the exact f- format and stuff we wanted and stuff and you're just kind of looking at me and, and then you just basically look at me and say I know I'm not taking any notes but I'm remembering everything you said and I think that first set of content you sent me was exactly what I asked for yeah. <laughs> I was just like Whoa, he wasn't kidding. He remembered everything I said. No, but um, no, I, I, I think that it's huge to realize that, yeah, you're going to have trained people that come out to your church. But, you know, I think sometimes we're, we feel too easily threatened when in reality we should be approaching each other in, in brotherly love and realizing that, you know, if, if I'm erring in something I say or, or there's something I say that doesn't make sense or could be construed wrong and and an educated person can pick up on that um with with the theological chops then yeah i want i want to know that you know i want to be able to engage with that because you know we're a body and we all have different parts and we all have different functions and and if we look at the other functions in the body as competitive 
um, to our own function, then we've missed the point of what it is to be a church body. Yeah. And uh, I, I think Pastor Intern Emily, who usually sends the material in October, we're still in Atlanta. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it for the church. Because I, 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 I admire you are, and whenever we're there in Knoxville, we're going to stay dressed Sunday so we can go to church. She's usually been stunned because she was sending me like a six-week thing. Half an hour later, boom, here's all of them right there. I'm done. <laughs> and it's, it, really, it really is awesome content. Uh, you know, it's something that I engage with in my connection group. And, and to be honest with you guys, the first time I see that content is in the connection group because I basically, you know, um, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit works. I, I send Nick, hey, here, here are the verses we're going on. Here's the series we're going on. Here's my general idea um, you know, I haven't written out the whole message yet, but here's generally what we're going with. And, and Nick just, he nails the content every time and not just, you know, from a, from a deep theological perspective, but with engaging questions and, and on a level that anybody could step into, which, which has just been, I mean, for us, I feel wildly blessed, um, that God allows you to do that, uh, through our church. Well, Pastor Matt, I wish we could keep talking on and on, but we are going to close, <laughs> unfortunately, and... You know, before letting you go and say our usual things, I want everyone to know at a point who's listening, Ari and I really miss seeing you, and you're free to call us, contact us anytime. We'd love to hear from you, and whenever we're in Knoxville, we want to come see you, but you guys are awesome there, and we want you to know that. Well, we miss you too. It's, uh, yeah, I was, I was really bummed when I heard you guys were going to Atlanta. I understood it. I understood yeah. it, but, you know, still... Still bummed, but to still be able to uh, to work together is has been a really cool thing. And just you know, thank you for your ministry and mm-hmm. being willing to do this podcast because uh, you know it really helps, uh, especially a lot of people in ministry, um, to engage with uh, some deeper concepts and to to keep to keep their feet in it um, while they're trying to juggle just a crazy ministry schedule. So thanks for being mm-hmm. willing to to do this. Now, Pastor Matt, do you have a blog or a website, an email way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you? Yeah, I have uh, a website. You can find it at um, lifeofachurchplanter.com. That's lifeofachurchplanter.com, or uh, you can go to connectingthedisconnected.com. That'll take you there as well. And then I'm on... uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Matt, M-A-T-T, Peoples, P-E-P-L-E-S, at, uh, yeah, at Matt Peoples, and uh, also, you know, on Facebook, um, pretty much on anything, I think, social media I can be on. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd love love to get to engage with you guys and um, hear your thoughts or comments or just, you know, where you're listening from. Do you have any final message you'd like to leave today for the Deeper Waters audience? Uh, I would say, you know, the, the biggest message I would give is there are a lot of people who who need your ministry. And uh, don't forget don't forget that you had to learn the things you know as well. And I think sometimes when it comes to apologetics and to just, um, you know, a deeper understanding of Scripture, we forget that there was a time we didn't know that. And, and we can forget that somebody else needs to go through that process of discovery as well. Um, you, you are truly an asset to the church, um, but, but keep in mind that, that how you present yourselves to people and, and how you engage with people is just as important as the content you're engaging with. And, and give them a reflection of love and grace, even if they're radically off base, uh, because they'll learn just as much from what you say as they will from how you say it. 
And we're at Pastor Matt. It's been awesome having you here, and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. I hey, I'm I'm looking forward to the opportunity. I'm really glad we could do this. Well, I have to remind everyone that next week we're going to have a Jonathan Grant on. We're going to have his book, Divine Sex. So yeah, that's going to be a very interesting one. But for now, I'm Nick Peters, and I am signing off. <laughs>